Hello, welcome to the White Girl Podcast. Jordan joined as always by my uh, friend and uh, brother in Christ, William. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Giddle Boys, aka as we said, the White Guilt Podcast. And there will be a lot of white guilt on this episode today. Mm. Uh, this is our Killers of the Flower Moon episode. The King of Kino has returned to theaters. We've got some opinions on it. Uh, it's definitely a movie that I've, I've got a lot of stuff to say. I know Jordan does, but. Let's get into the news. Ugly fucking cocksucker. So Sam Bankman Freed has been found guilty of all seven fraud charges uh, after a months long trial. Um, he is looking at a minimum 20 years in prison, maximum 115. So he's completely fucked, I would say. We joked about this in our uh, pure two episode. Even if he goes down for like half of those, that's like, that's pretty much a life sentence. He's never getting out of jail. Just to be found guilty on like all seven, that's like, yeah, you're never getting out of there. You're, you're fucking skeleton serving time there. Oh yeah, no, they're going to leave the skeleton in there in the cell after he dies. It's, But it's so funny with all this stuff that's come out post that episode and the trial has taken place. He's an idiot. He's a fuck. Like yeah. people compared him to like Bernie Madoff, but Murdy, Bernie Madoff, his crimes were so calculated and cold blooded. Like he was a textbook psychopath. The way he handled his business, and Sam Bankman-Fried just seemed to bumble his way through all of this. Like he somehow managed to bullshit and fuck up his way to hanging out with Tom Brady and Larry David and. I, I knew it's so funny if you've actually watched the um the guy who ended up handling FTX's bankruptcy. He was the guy who handled Enron's bankruptcy, and nice. he said he was just stunned how sloppily this company was run. This is really old-fashioned and, and embezzlement. This is just taking money from customers and using it for your own purpose. Not sophisticated at all. Uh, sophisticated, perhaps in the way. Uh, they were able to sort of hide it from people, uh, uh, frankly, right in front of their eyes. It's in the absence of record keeping. Employees would communicate, you know, invoicing and expenses on on Slack, which is you know essentially a uh, you know a way of communicating for chat rooms. Uh, they use QuickBooks, a multi-billion-dollar company using QuickBooks. 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 Uh, Nothing against QuickBooks, it's a very nice tool, just not for a multi-billion dollar company. It's funny because um, Enron coincided with 9-11, and if 9-11 didn't happen, then Bush would be like a one-term president like his dad, because Enron was like the scandal of the 90s. But um, oh, yeah. yes, uh, Sammy Boy doesn't have a, a crisis to fall back on. No, he's going no, to jail. He's for going a while. To jail. His, his parents, I think, are looking at charges too because they found out Hell yeah. they were using his. I've, uh, I've read uh, excerpts from uh, Michael Lewis, the big short guy's uh, new book, and he has like entire segments about how uh, how his flower uh, bankman for his parents are just complete psychos. They're like the fucking uh, monsters meets fucking like Hannibal Lecter. They're like, you know that. Um, couple from a Christmas vacation, the couple that like have sex and silver plastic uniforms or yeah, something. Yeah, they live exactly. in like a completely sterile house. I take off his clothes, sit in the dark with a glass of wine and kiss every square inch of your body. After you shower, of course. Of course. They're that that Sam Bankman Free's parents, they're just they're just fucking psychos. They raised a little monster, surprising. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's always fun when you when you read uh the childhoods of like 
criminals and then you find out oh this the, no wonder this guy turned out the way he did they used they basically used ftx to buy shit for themselves i know the dad yeah. spent money to go to the 24 hours of lamar uh so yeah they're they i don't know if they'll be like they may charge them but they're they're in deep trouble and their son is now a convicted felon this is pretty much going to go down in history as the end of crypto i think everyone unanimously after this happened just said oh crypto is a fucking this is just one big Ponzi scheme, this whole fucking thing. Yeah, letting this uh, inveterate huckster do whatever he wants, basically scamming. Like, the reason why he's going to jail is because his, like, frauds were so massive, too big for the fucking, yeah. uh, for the American government to ignore. It's, it's, Bernie, it's, like, it's the Bernie Madoff syndrome, where you can steal money from poor people as soon as you start taking it from rich people. They're going to actually hunt you down. Defraud me one people, but once you're, like take 99% of a uh, Tom Brady's wealth, then, uh, yeah, that's when you know you're fucked. God, I love, I love those commercials. There was Steph, the one with Steph Curry, and uh, the, yeah. the, the Larry David one is still up, probably because it, he looks probably the best out of all of them, because it's all about how he thinks it's bullshit. Like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. Yeah, he's basically just playing his character from Curb. Like, oh, what's this uh, crypto bullshit? Everything yeah, he, he does in life, he is just his character from Curb. That's the thing about yeah. him. That's, I love him as a comedian. I never want to meet him in person. Because it's like, I remember reading an expert. It was from, I think, Walter Isaacs' book about Elon Musk. They were at some wedding, and Larry David asked Elon Musk, So are you just pro killing children? Is that it? Hell yeah. Which feels like yeah. something right <laughs> out of a fucking Curb episode. <laughs> fucking great. But, uh, yeah, I like to imagine he's wearing his uh, MAGA hat while he's doing that, trying to get uh, free tables. Right. <laughs> That's such a that episode's so fucking funny. Oh, he's the best. Uh, by the way, that yeah. Palestinian chicken episode has aged way better <laughs> than it has any right to be. It's brilliant. Oh, uh, fuck. Uh, yeah, I remember that now. Oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> trying to toe the line there. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't Good even stuff. toe the line. He goes right past it. Yeah. He pisses yeah. off everyone. Yeah. It's fantastic. But, um... Yeah, speaking of Palestine chicken, um, we may as well get back into that. Um, I've noticed there's been a little bit of change, like a little bit of the, the tide changing, but not much. There's still too much fucking money involved in this for anyone. To, it's going to take something way worse than shelling and bombing a refugee camp like they did this weekend. It'll take like Benjamin Netanyahu nuking Gaza for Joe Biden to uh, to maybe reconsider sending tanks into uh, to Israel. Yeah, it's going to be fun when um, the IDF completely bought this and Biden has to send fucking uh, American troops into Gaza to sort everything out. That's how you know Trump is just, just roll out the red carpet for Trump. I wish I talked about this last time, but I'm going to bring up uh, a friend of mine who used to be like very sympathetic to the Israelis because of you know all the Holocaust stuff and, um, yeah. and like the history of... Uh, of Jewish programs and stuff in like Russia and shit. But now seeing everything the IDF are doing in Gaza, just like there's those videos of tanks blowing up fucking uh, civilians and cars. So just like pure snuff porn and fucking Twitter. He's just like, yeah, fuck it. I'm, I'm like ride or die for the Palestinians now. Fuck these people. Yeah, no. And then that is, and going by that, that, that is the like, there is a feeling now that that's most people's takes, even if they're not like overtly political, they see this shit and like they, they, they're like viscerally against it. No, it's it's just human. It's just the human nature to watch what they're doing over there, 
and not feel sympathy. As I've said, it's very, you know, you don't, you, you always feel sympathy for the oppressed rather than the oppressor. That's just the nature of it. But it's also unfortunate that we've seen a lot of, um, there has been hijacking of pro-Palestine protests. There's been a lot of, a lot of neo-Nazis going out and kind of spilling their tea. And I mean, obviously they were going to do that, but it feels especially shitty even now. Like watching Nick Fuentes act like the fucking fool that he is. Yeah, there's been a an interesting debate on the uh, the modern right between the new conservatives like uh, Viktor Orban and stuff who like who hate Jews but think like Israel is good because they could just like send them over there, not have to deal with them. And then you have like the paleo cons like Fuentes who are just like kill every Jew regardless of where they are, and that's been a fractious between like the new right that holds power and like the stormfront right that yeah, just like the, sits in there uh, yeah. in their fucking paper's basement tweeting all day. Speaking of Fuentes, I did why I went on a bit of a Louis Theroux binge recently because of uh, was something we're gonna do in the future. I I had to do it, but I watched. I finally watched uh, Amer- uh, *Forbidden America*, where he went to Fuentes's house and just Hell how right. how miserable that existence is. You just sit in your fucking basement for three hours a day in front of a green screen talking shit, and these are your only friends—just people in a fucking Discord chat. You know, you don't even know personally. That's that's a rough fucking existence. Well, that is politics for fucking Zimmers. Young people have been so, like, disparred from politics for so long by these geriatric fucks like Joe Biden that they're, like, the only real alternative is just, like, twist streaming every day. I know. Like, and, and, and that's not just exclusive to the right, like... No, yeah, no, it's like, a whole industry. fucking Bush and fucking, like, all his clones, like Hassan or whatever, they just, they just do the exact same shit, and that is politics for... For people like us now because yeah yeah we, we don't have any work we can't get in office power. yeah exactly you know? yeah we're, we're not getting in there we the, the all... best we can get is fucking um is like your favorite uh youtube stan yeah. doing a fucking like 24 hour live stream or whatever jesus that's a that's a rough existence <laughs> that's yeah it's, it will get worse i like, know as i think even though like um the old fucks are starting to die off now. Like Diane Weinstein died fairly recently. Like yeah. we're not going to be able to replace her. She's, she's, her shoes are going to be filled by some other hundred-year-old girl that's going to toe the line on fucking Israel and shit. Yeah, it's the unfortunate, unfortunate reality. I, I can see why um, a lot of the Zoomer generation is getting pretty fucking hopeless. It's how could you not be? Look around you. You fucking watching an actual ethnic cleansing on live TV being covered like the Super Bowl, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and uh, if you do, you'll get branded as an anti-Semite yep. by uh, actual anti-Semites. Like Douglas Murray, who's a fucking shitting British neo-Nazi, went on TV and it's like, all oh, those protesters, like a 500,000, like half a million um, uh, strong march in London recently in support of a ceasefire. And guys like Murray were just like, yeah, they're all terrorist improvisers, they're all anti-Semites. Meanwhile, this motherfucker is like writing books called the fucking, uh, the war in the West and shit like that. Pure fucking agitprop for uh, white supremacists. Yep, yep. Uh, Jesus Christ, it's... Anyway, we're, we're going to move on from the, the horrors of the political world because uh, we move, I want to move on to something that... Um, really caught my attention. Um, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna end the new segment on something fun here. Um, 
cape shit is something that gets talked a lot about on this podcast. Mm-hmm. We've did multiple episodes on cape shit. Variety put out a phenomenal um, piece here called Crisis at Marvel. If this isn't the signaling this is the end of cape shit, I don't know what is. Because this article, I'm actually going to post it in the description of this episode because it's, it's a novel. And there's so much we can't even get into with it. But we are going to get into the, uh, the finer details of this uh, because... This is just insane. So the biggest problem they're having right now is Jonathan Majors, who, if you all don't know, has was arrested for domestic violence uh, this summer and is now going to trial in New York for... Um, and I'm going to say right now, I'm pretty sure he's going to get found guilty because those text messages he sent to that woman, uh, not that's not going to look good in front of a judge or a jury. Like, I think that was like the, the last big thing I saw on Twitter before I got... Uh... And said it was uh, kicked off there. And yeah, like the fact his lawyer fucking thought like this text messages would exonerate him. It's just like, come on, man, you you need a Johnny Cochran in there to fucking bullshit your uh, to bullshit the audience, and you, you don't have one. You unfortunately, need, you, need, you need a lawyer who defends mobsters and shit like that. Get like fucking John Gotti's <laughs> lawyer or something. But oh, dude, dude, that he how many times I had to take him to trial before he actually went to prison for something? It's fucking amazing. Yeah. Uh, but um, by the way, one of those lawyers was on OJ's legal team, so just it's mm. yeah, get one of those guys if they're all not dead from cancer, because I know a bunch of them. <laughs> Karma's a bitch if you're a fucking lawyer. But uh, yeah, no. Yeah, it's funny how Rob Kardashian like literally died right after the uh, OJ trial, like literally right after. Donnie Cochran followed suit too. It was uh, <laughs> it was beautiful. It was like yeah, fuck these people. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it, there's a problem for them because he was supposed to be like new Thanos and. Um, well, if he's in prison, then he can't really do the roles now, can he? No, unless he wanted to do like um like deep fake thing, edit his face into like a like a stunt actor or whatever. Yeah, but, he, but yeah, it's funny like trying to build him up as the next uh, as the next Thanos, and he's um yeah, because I've read some, I haven't read all the variety stuff, but I've I've seen some of it, and apparently they're desperate to throw on uh, Doctor Doom. Is the next big bad. And it's like, why the fuck didn't you do that in the first place? I think what happened was that was plan B because this is not going well. And I think actually one of the reasons they went into DEFCON was Quantumania didn't do well at the box office. They really thought they had a hit with that movie. And that's fucking hilarious. If you've not even seen the film, if you've seen stills of this thing and think, oh, this thing's going to bang with the kids, obviously. As someone who did go see that, the the fact that Kevin Feige like thought he had some like banger on his hands, you are just drinking the Kool Aid at that point because <laughs> it's, it's like, did you watch the movie you made? Jesus fucking Christ, dude! I I know even at the premiere, like people were complaining there were shots out of focus and shit. It was a disaster of a production. And one of the problems also, and this is more examples of like this is why there's a huge strike going on in this industry right now. The budgets are out of fucking control. Uh, I read here, the Marvels has a reported $250 million budget. God damn. Yeah, and it needs $675 million (laughs) which is not fucking happening. So that's fucking done. There was a time when, like, every fucking Marvel movie was getting, like, built, like... A guaranteed billion in the box office, like Black Panther or fucking Avengers, all that shit. No, that's just that's long done. It's, like it's, you're you're not getting past the fucking hundred billion mark. I guarantee you. It's wild that like within eighteen months, just Cape shit stopped being profitable. Like it's yeah. just with immediately. Just we had 
We had Black Adam Be- bombs. Because it's, it's, because it's gotten like significantly worse. Some of those early Cape Ship movies are fine, but over time they've gotten like... And as someone who's watched like all of them, they have gotten like noticeably worse. This is another piece that really fucking... I was like, oh my goodness, this is out of control. Uh, She-Hulk, the show that I've never seen, but apparently... I don't know. I The only thing I read about it was the writer's room didn't know how to write court sequences, which is very difficult oh, yeah. when your show's about a fucking lawyer. But apparently this show had, each episode had a budget of around $25 million. Which, that's, Game of Thrones doesn't spend that much on an episode. And that was, I think at the time, the most expensive show ever produced for television. Gamble had, I think it was like 7 to 10 million per episode, but 25 million, that's and there's like seven episodes of that, so well over like a hundred million Fuck. for that entire show. Fuck. And it's like, why? <laughs> why? For, why are you doing that? For a show that like I like, it's literally just disposable content. That's the thing. We're gonna get into it. With- exactly. It's fucking filler, man. It's like filler in between movies, and it's not like fucking She Hulk's gonna turn up in The Avengers Seven or whatever. What the fuck are you doing? Just. I, I have read here also apparently the budgeting is up. So the, they are still trying to get that Blade movie made. Apparently they've gone through mm. like five different scripts. To put, fun fact, it was supposed to come out last weekend. And, um, <laughs> if everything had went to plan, but clearly it didn't. Uh, apparently the Bob Iger is forcing Feige to cut the budget to about $100 million. Which oh, is, wow. Yeah, he's cutting a budget. He, he announced, because they've had a bloodbath this year at Disney, and he's looking at this thinking... Okay, no more two hundred and fifty million dollar movies every year. This is this is ridiculous. Like, I think the only film they've released this year that's actually turned to profit was Guardians Three. I think that's the only. Yeah, one. Everything else is just straight up not performed or or bombed. Like, I think Indiana we've, Jones is going to lose them like two hundred million dollars. It's fucking ridiculous. We briefly talked about how Guardians is like the last good cape ship movie. It's like the only good one that's been for at least like three years. You, you can't just have like an entire fucking studio based off like the meager success of that. Well, like they... the fact it's taken so long for fucking Bob Iger to realize that like every movie doesn't have to have like a quarter of a billion dollar budget is, um, yeah. Well, I mean, Makes it... to wonder why these fucking people got into uh, the positions they did in the first place. I think it's just they, they thought the ride would never end and the ride is ending now and they have no idea how to get off the fucking highway. So, but yeah, he's cutting budgets. Blade's going to have a budget of about a hundred million, which is small for a, for a movie like that. And we'll see. Cause I don't think Marvel's going to die. I don't think Cape shit will just go away, but there's going to be a, no, it'll be a, change it'll be a very like long protracted death. My, my one hope of this is like, because of the smaller budgets, we actually get like something interesting from it. The 90s cape shit had like that first Blade movie had a very like meager budget and it turned out pretty well. Yeah. Um so I'm hoping like I know um the Logan writer is working on the new Blade movie. Yeah. So you know, it's maybe he pulls a fucking rabbit with the hat and we get something like actually interesting from all these fucking problems, but yeah. yeah. Funny we thought about nineties cape shit, even back then you had like even movies that weren't successful, you had The Shadow, The Phantom. They weren't good, but they were interesting. Little artifacts. These weird genre directors got handed these, like, sizable movies. And I kind of hope we'll see more of that, more filmmaker-driven projects. Like, we saw, like, Matt Reeves when he directed The Batman, like, almost full control of that. And pulled out a pretty interesting movie, despite some of the weirdness of it. But 
I, I don't know if uh, Feige doesn't seem like the kind of guy that likes to he do he wouldn't do well with a auteur on set. I feel like if he hired like Ridley Scott to do a movie, he would fucking crawl into his shell immediately. I'm so pissed about the uh, the Edgar Wright Ant Man stuff. Yeah, like that that guy wanted to make that movie for fucking years, and he got cock blocked by Peyton Reed. Yeah. So this is some fucking like. Seth Rogen comedy guy. The, the, Come the on, man. highest profile film he did before Ant Man was Yes Man, the Jim Carrey movie. So <laughs> tells you, that's the kind of director Feige wants. That's not he doesn't want. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. One day, he was in Fairfax, and Bill Hale asked him, uh, you know, asked him, so would he like to do some work so that he could pay him some money, pay him really good money? And Tom said, Yeah. He said, Well, what will you do? And Tom said, I will do anything. You know, and and so. Bill Hale, he drove him out there out in the woods that evening and it was out west of Fairfax and uh, there was a campfire and was there and they were drinking, sitting around the campfire talking about things. After a while, Tom was, you know, inquiring about what work he was supposed to be doing and Hale handed him a gun and said, there's an Indian uh, who's passed out in a car out, out there in the woods. He's right over in this direction. Just go out there and shoot him in the head and kill him. And Tom said, they explained to Bill Harrell that he wasn't quite up to that, but he'd have to get some courage up or whatever you have to get up to uh, to do such a thing. So they, they kept drinking and these guys, uh, he hung out there for a while. And then Tom uh, saw an opportunity and he kind of made a little break for it and he got out in the woods where no one could see him. And he, uh, um, found his way back to Fairfax, and then a few days later, he had heard that uh, the the Indian out there was um, Henry Roan, that Henry Roan had been killed. Speaking of awful, awful, awful people making bad financial decisions, um, today's film is one that I have been waiting ecstatically to see this film, and I saw it, and I was a little, I liked it, but I definitely have some opinions on it. Uh, it's today, it's as we said on the top of the episode, it's Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, it's Martin Scorsese's new picture. Um, it's made by Apple. It's interesting how if you're a fucking uh, old-timey director, the only way you can get your movie now is if you beg a phone company to get it made. They seem to be more than willing to give it to them. They have that much money to fucking burn. Sure, we'll give Martin Scorsese 200 fucking million dollars. Yeah. Why not? Because when you're in a fucking uh, multi-billion dollar company, there's always so much you can spend on phones. You'd be like, yeah, give... Uh, Give Marty fucking a quarter of a billion to make his classic. Yeah, sure, yeah, fuck no, it. Why I mean, not? I mean, he's, I think personally, I think he's earned the right to get that much money to make whatever the fuck he wants. But that's that's their decision, not mine. But yeah, so this is uh, this film was um, apparently been wanting to make this film for a long time. And one of the interesting things about this movie is that even though it's made by Apple, it's was made as a streaming film. It has a wide theatrical release. It got put out all over every cinema chain has it um it has a fucking imax release this is what i saw this in because i'm like martin scorsese mm -hmm. and imax absolutely but they're also doing that with uh napoleon's getting one this month and i know matthew vaughn's argyle is also getting a theatrical release um next year and i think yeah. this is a really smart move on their part because like it gives these movies a sense of legitimacy that others don't because let's face it straight to streaming is now the new direct-to-video there is a stigma to it that is not going away anytime soon. VOD stuff is, um, we've talked about it before, like 
there is some good VOD stuff, but most of it is just like Bruce Willis schlock. Most of it is just like completely unwatchable. Whereas now you'll see these um these big companies like Amazon, Apple wade into it with their um with their own like prestige stuff. Streaming is like the new prestige TV because um ever since like uh, like Secession finished, I feel like that was the last on TV wise like prestige TV show. Like everything going forward now will be from like Apple or fucking Amazon and shit. We both watched The Killer recently. Yeah, we both went and to the that was, um, to see it actually too. Which was yeah, like, and nice. and that was Netflix. But um, Netflix movies are weird because they'll get like a week long cinema release and then just fade into the void. Whereas for um, Apple, much of their credit will give them like proper theatrical releases. Like I, you, you talked about this in fucking IMAX. So yeah, and I really think it's to get the stigma off of it being a movie that's designed for Apple TV. Because, like, if you think about how many movies Netflix churns out a year and how many of them, mm. there is a stigma to it. In between the David Fincher's The Killer, there's like fucking some Gal Gadot action vehicle nobody <laughs> knows about, or fucking like a documentary no one's gonna watch. Like, it, it is just. It is yeah. a fucking mountain of nothing. So Apple, I think, for, for, for every the killer, there's like ten degree men or whatever the yeah. fuck is called. Yeah, and that's another reason I think they're doing this as well is that there's at least a guaranteed sense of revenue. Like even if this movie doesn't, I mean, first of all, it's it's not going to make its budget back at the box office. Fuck that, not happening. But no, uh, they're at least guaranteed to make some money off of it, as opposed to Netflix, who spent the same amount of money on the gray man and that movie's never going to see profitability ever like it's just going to wallow on netflix and just gather dust whereas especially going down the road if napoleon or argyle's a fucking box office hit then we not only have a movie we can sell off our backs we actually made money off this fucking thing i will think uh douglas ghost napoleon will do quite well oh yeah because um yeah the house of gucci did quite well and um yeah, it'll be interesting to see like the response to um, him going back to like action movies because the last one he did was Kingdom of Heaven, and that was a good while ago. So. Yeah, no, it's also yeah. Walking Phoenix that has a box office draw. So yeah, yeah, that will definitely. Um, and like I said, but that that'd be it'd be wild if that movie's a hit, and then maybe we could see like because there's other studios that have done this. They've taken movies like because it seems like now that theaters have come back there is this desire to move away from streaming like they did during covid you look at a movie like blue beetle or the boogeyman these are two movies that made to go straight to their their respective streaming services but they both got a theatrical release at the last possible minute i think because you know if you're going to spend like blue beetle if you're going to spend a hundred million dollars on a movie and it's just going to sit on hbo you're not going to make any money off that so at least you're guaranteed like if it's a hit, good for us, but like, hey, it's good enough for theaters, so you should go see it. There is a pretty big desire to to go see like actual good movies because um, I've seen a lot of shit uh, this year and like The Flash and Indiana Jones, and they were all like empty. Indiana Jones had like five people on it, whereas uh, Killers of the Flower Moon was pretty packed. There is this demand not only for like a return to the cinema, but a return to like actual good movies. I think it was. This, the, yeah. I really think it was the one-two punch of uh, Top Gun and Avatar that really mm. made people think, "Oh shit, this is actually what real movie going is like." That's why Cape Shit's not doing well, as we said in our news segment. But yeah, getting into yeah. getting into the film proper. Enough talk of business and shit. Um, 
this is a story. Now, this is actually based on a, a book, and this is a true story, and it's a fucked up, twisted story. And my, I actually had heard of this story before this before I saw this film because I had seen a movie years ago called The FBI Story. It was a 1959 propaganda film produced by J. Edgar Hoover. This is a fellow named Chip Hardesty. To see him walking on a street, or in the familiar routines of a family man, or even in the daily pursuit of his job, you might not pick him out as something special. But there is something special about Chip Hardesty. So special, a whole big, tremendously exciting motion picture has been made about him. And men like him. So special, it has been given this proud and distinguished seal. This is the official shield of the FBI. Now, for the first time, you'll see the real, the authentic, the fascinating inside story of the FBI. Chip Hardesty was there from the very beginning. He was in Oklahoma when the Indians were being murdered out of their oil. He was in Chicago the night John Dillinger was finally cornered. He was there when the FBI closed in on some of the most dangerous public enemies in our history. James Stewart goes away to do FBI shit and the wife can't cook or clean. She's like, I need my manly husband. It's very... 50s movie in a way this case is featured very prominently in that i think because as they bring up in the movie this was the fbi's first real um like attempt to actually break in and actually solve crimes they weren't even called the fbi at the time that was just the uh bureau of investigation they don't become the fbi until like right after world war ii when they have to pivot away from uh, nazis to uh, homegrown communists yeah which is uh yeah pretty funny but yeah it's um I know in the original script for this, the Jesse Plemons character was like the main character, and then Scorsese came in like, no, 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 we're uh, we're not lionizing the fucking FBI here. We're, we're doing something else. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> I agree because the like I said, this is basically a story of it's a twisted fucking like the actual plot of this is so fucked up. So William King Hale. Now, if you actually look up a picture of this man. It's worth looking at him. He looks like an old oil prospector. He's got a fucking top hat. <laughs> he looks like De Niro in the movie. I can't describe this man. He's like a cattle farmer meets oil baron. He was the ringleader of a lot of these murders. There were a lot of people involved, but he was in charge of a good amount of them. And he was one of the few people that actually got prosecuted for it. Uh, but yeah, uh, in this film, uh, his, his nephew, Ernest, um, he convinces him to marry into this family that has all this oil and then they just sadistically murder everyone in this fucking family over the course of i don't know because like he has the baby and then the baby's a, a boy now it's like one of those things where the passage of time of this movie isn't clear but the fact that they went this long with this is just how fucking evil these people are william king hale was like uh he's like a kingpin figure yeah. He um, he masquerades as like a benevolent philanthropist and business and meanwhile he's holding like Ritual meetings in the fucking Masonic Lodge, like the little, oh, yeah. little fucking stone cutters. They, they to, yeah, they go to like... the stone cutters fucking uh, play, and then they flog him. They flog DiCaprio in like one of the weirder moments of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's this uh, like insane Protestant fucking uh, like mindset of if you don't toe the line, we're gonna paddle you. Well, it's, I mean, uh... it's also that ingrained because he put, he makes him put your hand on the Bible and say you told them to steal the car, and DiCaprio's clearly like. If I lie and put my hand on this Bible, they're going to just kill me. Like, fuck. Yeah. Well, I'll take the paddle. Paddling the school canoe? Oh, you better believe that's a paddling. DiCaprio was interesting in this. 
because I um I saw this movie with a friend of mine, and he said that um his performance reminded him a little too much of um what's that fucking what's that Ben Stiller bit from Tropic Thunder? Uh, oh, uh, Simple, Simple Jack. Jack yeah, yeah, he, he reminded him too much of Simple Jack. Like he's a little too stupid. I don't like he's stupid, but there is a sinister element to that character, particularly by the end where he loves his wife, but he's also helping his fucking evil uncle murder her family and he's poisoning his wife. And at that last scene at the end, she's like, what did you put in me? It's like, it was just insulin, honey. That's it. It Like the only reason he testifies against his uncle at the end is because his fucking son dies. And then he has that moment. I love the way that scene is shot. The way De Niro is like framed in that scene. The way he stares daggers at him is so fucking... He's a frightening man. He's a frightening man in this. I used to get reminded that De Niro can actually uh, act in movies. Because he's been in some uh, yeah. some not good stuff recently. And it takes a guy for Scorsese to remind people that... Hey, this guy is a fucking Oscar winner. Yeah, no, but I mean, so, this, uh, this character is so fascinating because he has those moments where he's all like, he's all warm and smiley, and then he he slowly begins. The way he looks at DiCaprio in certain scenes is like he just stares at him. His eyes are never never blinks. He's intimidating as shit. Like particularly the first time he tells him, like the first time he tries to pick her up in the car, and he's telling him, "No, you got to do it this way, man. Are you listening to me?" Like. He really wants this fucking oil money. He's already like obscenely rich, but he's he just wants like everything. Yeah. He, he just said, but he essentially just wants to like effort or cleanse. And he says it as well. The old sage, they had their time, you know, it's it's the white man's time to shine, yeah, you know? No, just yeah. just pure evil. Oh, just pure fucking yeah. piece of shit. And I that's one of the things that makes Caprio's character so interesting. I talked to you about this after I saw this film, I had this it might be stupid at the time, but I think there's some truth to it. Um I had an epiphany with his character that this is ostensibly the, the this is how everyone eventually becomes a white a white supremacist. They're socially awkward, they can't impress women, and that eventually leads them down to fucking supporting ethnic cleansing. Because that's that's really what this feels like. It's like he 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 can't pick up women, he can't really have a normal conversation, and he lets his uncle just walk all over him till it's like, Yes, daddy, I understand we need to kill all of them. Yeah, DiCaprio is uh He's such a bastard in this movie as well. He's a- like when it goes to fucking um that bomber guy telling them this guy won't shut the fuck up, plant a bomb under his house, don't ask any questions, just fucking do it. We'll pay you. And um yeah, it's it's funny how um DiCaprio is like the last man standing. Him and his brother, I think, are like the last man standing because you have that montage of the fucking uh of the conspirators getting uh getting like tricked into uh, being killed yeah yeah the scene that i love is uh where it shows a bunch of bastard is when he's trying to make uh his wife take uh insulin for the first time and then just goes on a racist rant for no fucking yeah. reason <laughs> just laying into this one for no reason and yeah it's just it's that's what i mean like you have no idea i don't know if he really loves this woman i really think like there is some level of like psychopathy to that character that just makes him so repellent especially by the end where there is no redemption. You keep hoping, oh, there'll be a redemption arc for this guy. There really isn't. It's all... The only time he does anything good is because when he's personally affected by his uncle's shit. A fucking scene where he, uh, he tells De Niro that he's finally going to testify. And he's just behind cells and De Niro, like, he just wants to kill him then and there. But yeah. because he's surrounded by fucking cops, it's like, 
just think about what you're doing, son. Just, just think real fucking hard about what you're doing. <laughs> so great, such a so many, so much great eye acting in this movie too. Uh, De Niro's got a lot, and uh, the breakout of this is Lily Gladstone. She fucking yeah. is the only person in this movie that's not a repulsive piece of shit. And I've said that her eye acting is she just stares at people in a way that's very almost hypnotizing in her. Even when she's bedridden for like most of the second half of this movie, she still owns the fucking screen. It's this is an absolute breakout. She's actually getting an Oscar nomination this year, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, guaranteed. Yeah, the fucking uh, the scene that really did get me. There is pacing problems to this movie. We've talked about how this like goes on for a good like thirty minutes, but yeah. the, the the one scene that did get me at the end has been um, is the final scene with Herm DiCaprio. And DiCaprio, he's like very close to redeeming himself, but he won't admit that he's like basically been poisoning her for the last year. Yeah. And she just doesn't say anything to him. She just walks away. That is the, that's the uh, scene that's like, fuck this guy. Fuck yeah. this dude. Her character is so sad, not just because she gets poisoned, but during the weird, like, the ending of this movie is so fucking bizarre. The, um, it's almost like a true crime podcast done in the night, done in like vaudeville. It's fucking weird as hell. William King Hale was paroled in the 60s and then died. And then DiCaprio's character lives in a trailer park. And then like fucking Scorsese cameos in this movie. He comes out and reads the obituary of, um, of Lily Gladstone's character. And you find she like died at 50 just of, of diabetes and it's like fuck the, the worst punishment in this movie is for the victim. I've heard some complaints about how like fucking weird that ending is it's but it comes on, out of on, oh yeah it's, it's i was fucking shocked by it because i i i knew the story of this movie but i knew like nothing about the actual movie itself and i was like taken aback it ends with this vaudeville radio show and fucking scorsese i i fucking laughed when scorsese came out yeah that God was I, I had heard his voice he has some voice cameos in this and i have that ear for that i'm like oh that's martin scorsese and yeah. Yeah, he comes yeah. out, actually, like, reads the obituary, and then it that amazing shot of them dancing in the field, and it just constantly zooms out. You see how massive this field is with all these people, and then that, that's the end of the fucking movie, and it's... Yeah. It doesn't leave a lot of closure. It doesn't leave a lot of satisfaction, I think, and that's kind of the point, because this is a movie about the worst people in the world doing the worst shit to the most undeserving people. It's interesting how um, there is no real catharsis at the end, like... Yeah. DiCaprio essentially like gets off screen to death. Having his brother just like drink themselves to death in some trailer park and you don't even see it. God, and it's I, just like, yeah. I like, wish we had that. The, the, these people are so fucking repulsive that you don't even get to see them die. No. They're just like, yeah. God, like, I fuck these loved, people. I would have loved an epilogue to see DiCaprio as a fat guy in a trailer park balling <laughs> fucking booze. Talking, being racist as fuck. Like, uh, there's no catharsis at all. And it's just. Yeah. It is a very. It just it, it, I mean, I understand why, because, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's not really a film about, because this is a real crime that happened, and oh yeah, Br Brendan Fraser's in this fucking movie, and he yeah is, for five minutes. Oh, his performance is wild in this. He is like <laughs> snarling and laughing. <laughs> his performance is. So, I've heard. I saw an op-ed in like a site that's like he should give his Oscar back because of. Yeah, yeah. Really? For that, I mean, yeah. He's, honestly, I loved it. I love how. Yeah, it's he's, he's basically sliding out backflash without the fucking mustache. He's just, he's just like, you stupid boy, you stupid fucking boy. <laughs> you're, Kevin, you're breaking your uncle's heart. I haven't seen my client in day, and then, then her courtroom <laughs> falls apart, 
And then John Lithgow shows up as the prosecutor, yeah. which that I didn't even know. I was like, holy shit, John Lithgow's still alive. Fuck yeah. I love that scene too, where uh, you find out how connected the, the uncle is, where it's just that. The yeah, shot it, from the it's the fucking storm cars meeting, like everyone's there. It, it, it's the shot in the trailer. Where, Can you find the wolves in this picture? Oh, and it's it? all just yeah. old white people. <laughs> so much of that. And it's so fucking like, just, yeah stone cutters they're all like fucking oil barons and rich people that's what i love about this movie too is that like i was curious how this was gonna fit in scorsese's overall filmography and this kind of feels like his his take on a western but it's all about how like evil the fuck like we like th that's the thing about this movie this is all about america's still struggling to come to terms with and especially all of us around the world uh, how badly we treated the, the natives and of our respective countries and just tried to genocide them to death one of the uh few uh upsides about being scottish we uh didn't have to like genocide people for the uh for the land i'm currently living on yeah but um in canada we had we had yeah yeah schools, which they just they, they're still taking up fucking mass graves oh, it's funny as fuck i learned that in school and i remember people being shocked they had found out they didn't know about that i'm like really no one else I guess I'm the only one who got taught about this, which is wild, but yeah, a lot of bodies, just mass graves of children, not a good look, but, and, and I was fun, I was very curious to see how this movie was going to play with, like, right-wingers, I was hyped as fuck to watch the Ben Shapiro review of this. And I don't think he's touching this. No, I don't know, that's the thing I noticed, none of them touched it, and the ones that did, the only complaint was, well, it's long. It was too long, yeah. Which yeah. I mean... I think I think partly the reason is this whole culture war of like we see this with movies a lot like these fucking chuds going online talking about like notice it's always cape shit and kid movies no one ever goes after movies actually made for adults that have shit to say Captain Marvel 2 or fucking Barbie it's never stuff like this because stuff like this has to actually make the audience reevaluate the founding of America and how like just fundamentally evil what all was like this this really is like blood murder in the movie this is probably like, the closest we'll ever get to blood yeah like yeah. the only thing we're missing is the judge the seven foot tall fucking albino man which in a way de niro is kind of the judge in this just a benevolent figure that destroys everything he touches it is this kind of is uh scorsese's take on a, on a mccormick story you're completely fucking right on that and it's interesting like, seeing where this will fit into his overall filmography because um the last film was The Irishman. I know you said, and I certainly agree with it, that it's like slightly better than this. I think that I would this, say. this gets into our biggest gripe with this film. We may as well get into it. The runtime. This yeah. one's about the same time as The Irishman. It's three hours and 28 minutes. And The Irishman, I didn't have a problem with the runtime. Mainly it's because uh, it's two reasons. Number one, the, the scope of time that movie takes place over. We see that guy's entire life. And like from when he was a young guy to dying in an old folks home and so much history happens in it the bay of pigs invasion the union crackdown shit like that and you also have just a steve zillion script that's just punchy as hell and pacino just chewing up every piece of scenery he can find and it's just it's i think it's just a movie that's overall just it's more fun to watch as a movie like because it oh, really yeah. is just a hangout film with old men until it gets really depressing at the end when fucking they kill off Pacino and everyone just gets old and dies. I agree with all of that. It's it is very long, but I've never had to like pause the movie oh. or like every time I've watched this, I've been able to like watch it in one sitting. I've never got like bored through any of it because it's like it's long, but it's pacey. Feels like an old school 
Scorsese film. And there's some Scorsese type stuff here. And it's funny as fuck as well. Oh. Uh, there's a serious lack of comedy in yeah, it comes no, to no, the yeah, The scene with fucking. The, the watermelon scene is what fucking. <laughs> That's just. You know the thing about him? Jimmy hates fucking watermelon. <laughs> but we're gonna like watermelon. <laughs> you know what it was like? Like Moses. Remember Moses? When he walked into the ocean there, see whatever the fuck it was, and it opened up? That's him. I'm telling you. Jimmy, he's got it. You guys sure like watermelon. Want a bite? Not on your life. <laughs> My favorite scene, I rewatched a bit of The Irishman after this. It was the scene where Pacino calls uh, old man Kennedy an eggplant because he had a fucking stroke. This <laughs> <laughs> is just one of the most. No, it's not going to blow over. How's it going to blow over? They're never going to forget that I gave money no. to Nixon. Calm never. down, Jimmy, please. We're going to handle this. Couple of the old timers. They're gonna they're gonna get to old man Kennedy now. But, but, okay, but, they're gonna get to him. He's but, a little sick, but sick. Yeah, but he but, had a fucking stroke. That's not sick. That's your 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 close to the grave is what he's turned into a fucking eggplant. Okay, well you can't blame anybody for that. That's I'm not looking to blame anybody. But if there's any blame going around, it's the Kennedys. His kids killed him. Let me tell you that he's not dead, but he's going. Pacino is partly the reason I think that movie flows as well as it does because he is just. When he's in his mode, he is unlike any other actor out there. It's amazing to watch. Yeah, he's fucking brilliant in that movie. I like how he tries to do the Jimmy Hoffa um, accent, like, right at the start. And then when we actually, like, meet him in the hotel room, he just, just completely abandons that. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, that's such a Pacino uh, thing to do, though. And my scene yeah. I love is when he's talking about um, how he's going to go to jail. And I think he forgot. He has to fake out, yeah. I think yeah. he forgot his lines midway through because it flo it's done in a way where it's like he forgot his lines. He's still trying to power through the scene. Pay him thirty six fucking grand at the same time. You let him sell insurance to his fucking father's. Fucking fathers to his fucking fathers locals. Damn it! And I think also the problem with like particularly the farming, the lack of humor, the the it, it feels like it's meandering a lot. There's a lot of scenes that do feel like we could totally cut this, and but it's also it's just it doesn't. The story doesn't feel like it needs to be told over the course of three and a half hours. I mean, if you want to get no. all the detail yeah. in, but. Have a lot of this movie really is like it is just meandering, especially when we get to the court stuff, and it yeah, just that's... grinds to a fucking halt. This movie, it it's noticeable. If, if I was to cut like anything of this movie, and I know it's heresy because it's you know the God Scorsese, I would cut a lot of the third act out, like all of the Jesse Plemons stuff. I yeah. would just like I would not remove him, but yeah, like most of that stuff, like, edit that. Out. So We'd be rolling. Don't need that. Yeah, no, because he just kind of shows up and just he has that little meeting, like turns into a police procedural for like at the end. But like, yeah, it's just very um, something that becomes very detrimental to the movie. And I think, I think the only reason it's three and a half hours is because it's, they let him make it that long. Because I really think Apple was hands off with this. Because unlike Netflix, respect directors enough to let them have final cut of their movies. Because I guess they have just have that much money to fucking burn. Is that like out of touch thing? But if, if Apple was like an actual like home company, they'd be like more hands on, like demanding creative control power. But here it's like, yeah, Scorsese make his his three hour long fucking uh, 
why America sucks, maybe. I think uh, that, that that is interesting. How um, now that I think about his his overall filmography is very much like America like sucks, but in very like varying degrees. Yeah, you go back to like Taxi Driver, which is all about the underbelly of society. Society. Good fellas, crime doesn't pay, and there's so many like. We could sit here all day and kind of dissect that, but like I, Wolf of Wall Street's that's having its ten year anniversary mm-hmm. this year. That's kind of the ultimate mo- fuck modern America movie because this guy did all this shit and did it got away with pretty much all of it. Everyone else went to prison except for him. De Niro is like really the only like Scorsese bad guy to face like some consequences, Not really. and even though he, yeah, yeah, he he goes to jail for like five years and then dies in a care home. Which, which is, I mean, uh, I, he has the exact same fate as his character from The Irishman. He just dies in a fucking care home. Yeah. Uh, by the way, speaking of which, I rewatched The Irishman. That last shot. Yeah, that's so fucking haunting, man. Fucking uh, the silence and then just cut to credits. So fucking good. Yeah. Oh, just ah, oh, Jesus. That's the thing about this movie. I find I find it. I, I think this would have worked better as a um as a TV as like a, almost a TV miniseries than it would have as a mm-hmm. film because it's. But I will admit, that, like, even though we're talking shit about the runtime, there's some amazing stuff in this film. I was the scene that always gets me is the one guy they hired to kill the alcoholic, and he be, kind of becomes friends with him, and he's supposed to shoot him in the um, shoot him in the front, make it look like an accident, and he, and just, he just completely him fucks up. Yeah, you no, know, because he starts to becomes friends with this guy, gives the guns like I don't want the money, fucking keep it. I don't want to talk to you fucks again. Like that one guy who has a bit of a heart after you know drinking with this guy for several days hanging out then he realizes oh i have to kill you now it's yeah, a, yeah. it's a very weird little moment but it's like it shows like some of these people have a little bit of a heart even though they're still going through with the horrible shit they're told to do but that's the interesting thing about um the really evil fucks are like the oil barons of the king house of the world and then you just have dumb underlings yeah, who all like dicaprio and fucking like the people that actually have to do the the bitch workings, they'll die unceremoniously. Yeah, you know, they, DiCaprio tells him, you could have my car, and he gets arrested for stealing his car. <laughs> like, fuck, man. Yeah, like, immediately. All, yeah. all fuck each other over. It's just, because that's the thing about this movie that I love, is that it's the ex- example of, like, money really is the root of all evil. All of this is for money. That's really all. The- Racism is just kind of the fun byproduct. We just want to get fucking rich. They rob the rich people, and then try to gamble with it, and then lose everything. <laughs> DiCaprio just has yeah. his, like, midnight hunting yes. runs for fucking jewelry. It's funny seeing immediately after World War I, uh, DiCaprio just becomes a gangster. He just, he just resorts to robbing rich people, even though he has a fucking rich uncle to fall back a, on. That's a lot yeah. of uh, soldiers, even now, where they come back and society just rejects them because they went to war, and they all kind of, they become fucking drug dealers or criminals. It's That's just kind of the nature when you're in a structured environment like that, that you come into the real world where there is no structure. You'll fucking fall very easily into places like that. Yeah, we'll just go insane like Chris Kyle, fucking uh, sniping people on roofs. You'll you'll turn into Chris Dorner. You'll be you, you'll try to be a police <laughs> officer, and then, well, I mean, we have some. We could we could talk about that sometime, but I'll keep my opinions to myself. I'm just saying, um, I'm I'm against him murdering the innocent woman. That's the problem. He started yeah. killing innocent people. That was the problem. Um, yeah, it uh, sort of be a. So to wrap this up, um, I'm looking forward to the uh, Emil Kilgi uh, Chris Donner biopic, which needs to happen at some point. Oh fuck yeah! Because those two are like like fucking like uncanny man. They're oh, like yeah. fucking twins. There should be something about Chris Donner because that story is so fucking crazy. 
and that crime is so brutal. You're like, we have to figure out what the fuck made this guy tick. Because it's fucking wild. Yeah. Like, he almost made yeah. it across the border, and he burned his car. He's like, he wanted to get found. He wanted to get into a shootout with the cops and shit. Like, that is, like, his life's trajectory. That's his, uh, fuck it, I'll, I'll be a king moment. You don't really see stuff like that happen that often now. It's mostly just, like, like white supremacist incels who go on, like, mass shootings yeah. and die immediately. I can't get laid, much like the character in this movie. But um, very rarely do you see guys who commit crimes like that and actually have, like, a, a grander purpose of, you know, I'm doing this because the crim the criminals are the police and shit. His manifesto is fucking crazy, if you've ever Yeah, heard. it's fucking wild. He gives specific thanks to Todd Phillips in his fucking manifesto, <laughs> the Joker director. But this is before Joker. This is when he was the hangover guy, but... It's a fucking crazy manifesto. We'd all uh, love to do a deep dive on that guy at some point. But um, uh, yeah, yeah but that's Killers true. of the Flower Moon. Uh, would you recommend this film to the audience? Uh, I would. Um, I would say watch it at home because that means you can like pause and go for piss breaks. I, I, I really want to see like a return to intervals. I, I really just want like yeah. if we're doing like if you, if every movie is just like three hours now, just just give us fucking smoke breaks, man. Yeah, no. just give us fucking something. Like, I think this is absolutely worth seeing. I think this is still a movie. It's a story that should be told, and it's told. The parts of this movie that are great are really fucking great, but it, it, that that pacing really fucking kind of it doesn't ruin it, but it, it hurts it. I wish I could give this movie a better review, but I really do think it is like that pacing and. You know some of the weird choices in it, but if you love Scorsese, you're you're gonna go see this regardless of what we're gonna say. And yeah, I would watch it at home. Uh, I don't know when it's coming out on Apple TV, but I imagine once it leaves theater, as we'll get a date. Soon. Yeah, straight to straight to streaming. I know um, there's gonna be like a four hour uh, director's cut of Napoleon. I think it's five uh, hours actually, which is oh fuck which, yes. Which, which, which I mean, that's probably the version I do watch that movie because the two and a half hour cut. You can't tell that man's life. We've talked no, about this podcast. No. That's, that's doomed to fail, but that's what I mean also. Yeah, Apple, like, yeah, we'll give Ridley Scott a five-hour director's cut of Napoleon. <laughs> Fuck it. Why not? And then Matthew yeah. Vaughn's just in between these two titans, like, hey, guys, and it's like, who is this little boy? Like, Please watch my uh, shade, not James Bond movie. Yeah, uh, don't think so. I do love Sam Rockwell, so I might actually give that a shot, because I like the... It does have a stat cast, but yeah, does, Vaughn has... But uh, Vaughn's been, Yeah. <laughs> It looks dumb as shit. Yeah. The one X-Men... So, uh, I will say this, though. I'll take him over any other X-Men director. At least, <laughs> at least he's not a horrible rapist. So he's got that going for... Not that we know of. There's there's still time for shit to come out. But at least until now, while we're recording this, he's not uh, a rapist. I was, I was joking with a friend of mine recently about how Dougree Scott came very close to playing Wolverine in that first uh, X-Men movie. But he passed to do a Mission Impossible 2 instead. And I was joking with my friend about, like, who would you rather work with, John Boo or uh, Brian Steiger? <laughs> wow. You know what? I gotta, I gotta say it right now. Mission Impossible 2. I'd much rather watch that than the first X-Men movie. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Dude, that fucking uh, scene where Tom Cruise is shot and it's like operatic music. It's like they're shooting Jesus. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome fucking movie. Oh, it's dumb as shit, but it's amazing. Oh, uh, hell yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, what, are you, what are we doing uh, next episode? We're starting to do, like, bonus episodes because we have uh, a lot of free time now because winter's approaching and uh, work, working during winter, especially outside, is weird. But, um, yeah. 
So expect some fun little uh, 30 minute snippets here and there to go with the regular episodes. But our next regular episode. Ooh. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, everyone. Um, God damn. Brace yourselves because you'll. Um, yeah. God help us. Yeah. We've we're we're, we're, we're going to go from uh, how America is evil to how Britain is evil in our next episode. <laughs> black-pilled episodes are we gonna do in a row man? Done. we really need to do something lighthearted after the next episode man jesus christ yeah we will uh, we'll have to pick some like lighthearted cape shit to uh to unpropel ourselves here because coming we'll definitely do something yeah fun, but uh God damn. next time for possibly the worst fucking person we will ever cover on this show so stay tuned for that mm. i fear more than fear my observation is that uh the filmmakers of substance need support. Yeah. And the problem is um, the uh, amusement park films. The problem is that, which is something that's been pointed out for the past number of years now. But now I think, uh, in effect, uh, they, they've got real cinema on the run, so to speak. There's no, it's very difficult for films of substance or attempted, uh, how should I say, I don't want to use the word personal vision, but I have. Uh, it doesn't mean it's not entertaining, right? But uh, these these projects, uh, uh, where can they be shown? Mm. Where can they be shown if the theaters are taken over by the um, uh, well-made, uh, beautifully made, uh, animated pictures, in a sense? These films now, I think, are more like theme rides, in a way. And it's a different experience for an audience. Now, that audience could also appreciate narrative film, mm -hmm. uh, narrative or a narrative could be a film that could be made by the uh, the Turkish filmmaker Ceylon or, or as I say, Joanna Hogg uh, or, or uh, you know, uh, different types of pictures um, that don't necessarily depend on uh, heavy special effects and uh, 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 how should I put it, comic book heroes.